listening to a production of the Toe Network. This is Laser Knees number 102, Beyond the Black Rain. I'm Aleph. And I'm Sono, and this is Dino Knight Sentai Ryu Soldier, episode 31, A Melody from the Sky, and episode 32, When the Rains of Hate Fade. Wow, that's a good title. Yeah, it is. That is, that is, like, even if that's not, like, literally what the episode is, that's evocative as hell. It's a little bit literally what the episode is. Yeah. Uh, our writer for both is Yamoka Junpei, our director for oh, yeah. 31 is Koichi Sakamoto, and for 32 it is Kamihori Chikazuya. Uh, uh, we'll work all around, folks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I appreciate that for these two episodes they basically brought out the A-team. Yeah, and I mean, this is when you need it. Yeah. Well, clearly, clearly we're excited about it, or at least I am. I'm very, I am so excited about yeah. it. We are hype, but let's just get the bad stuff out of the way so that we can just deal with it, have it done. Because that's why we put it up front, so we can just be done with it. Yep. Um, didn't help Zio, but... No, really didn't. Nothing did. Anyway. We tried. So, I'm a little confused as to how Conalo and Oto having better hearing means they're unaffected by the evil music. Because in theory... Doesn't that mean they should have started dancing sooner? Like, does... I mean, they would have heard it from farther away. Yeah, like, doesn't... Like, does the sharper hearing mean their brains process it as a threat somehow? And, like, know not to do whatever? Like, it's not an explanation that really makes sense. I mean, if they'd just been like, no, but we're fish, so we hear stuff differently. Like... We, we hear stuff through, like, vibrations hitting our body, not with our ears. Like, or something, I'd accept that, because I don't know how fish hear. I, like, that is a completely foreign concept to me, so what if they were just being like, nope, we're fish, so it doesn't affect us, I'd buy it. Like, but saying their hearing is better, and that makes them unaffected, like, I know how people ears work, so that, like, that doesn't add up to me. No, yeah, that, I'm with you. I do wonder if it's a translation thing, because again, I, yeah, I, I'm just gonna choose it to take it as them saying they're just better than us. Like, oh no, 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 our hearing is just better. But that's uh, that's a conjecture thing, and honestly, they don't seem stuffy, stuffy enough to just pretend they're elves about it. Yeah, like I don't know, Occam's razor. Just think of a much simpler explanation. Just be oh, like, um, they're proficient in wisdom saves, and the rest of the team isn't. I mean, fair enough. You're like, nah, we're fish. <laughs> I, I really like just, nah, we're fish, because, honestly, since we're positing that they split off from the Ryusol tribe, the land one, in dinosaur times, that's a million years of undersea living to kind of adapt, you know, for, for evolution to happen. Yeah. And even if they're keeping a generally bipedal shape, uh, you know, senses start working different. Yeah, I mean, technically they are amphibians. But I don't know how amphibians here either. Just be like, nah, we're frogs. Yeah, I'm not a, yeah. I, like, I would assume it's the same, but frogs don't have ears. At least not, like, external ears like that are shaped like ours. Yeah, like, I don't, I don't know, just don't, like... Hearing better just isn't an explanation that makes sense in this case. Especially, like, again, though I do, I still like the headcanon of, oh no, 
we hear exactly the same as you, we're just better at it. Even if the explanation was, we hear worse because sound travels differently underwater. So, like, we're hearing it pitched a certain way so it doesn't affect us. I don't know, maybe that's what they mean. By their senses being sharper, the music is just, like, pitched differently because they're adapted to hearing underwater. I don't, I don't know. Everything just sort of, like, they just drown out the bass because that's everything underwater. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's really strange. But uh, more importantly, as much as I think the moment of Ko leaving himself open to be the new target for Geysorg is, like, tragic and beautiful and so perfectly who Ko is, and I'm going to talk about that later because I do think all oh, yeah. of those things... We all know Asuna is physically the strongest member of this team, so why is the armor not targeting her? Is it because Ko is, like, choosing to put on the armor? Like, is that a requirement? Is it just that he takes off the Ryu soldier armor before doing this and it can't, like, put itself over the other armor? Because that seems stupid. It's, like, evil ghost armor. I don't think it should care. Like, it's just super weird that physically, like, the strongest person on the planet is three feet to the left, and it doesn't even notice her. Yeah, no, it is... it is messed. Because, like, okay, in in the show's possible defense, maybe it's a cultural nuance thing or a translation thing, because that's the only reason I can think other than, hey, this is a Sentai and we we got to make it about the red. Because um, it does keep saying it wants the strongest. And I get, like, okay, yeah, there are different meanings for that superlative, but y- y'all gotta be specific if you're not going after the one who could just, like, pick you up and toss you into the sun. Yeah, I mean, from what we've seen and from what Nada's whole story arc is, Geyserg wants the physical strongest person so it can always win fights. And that's not Ko, that's Asuna. Again, as much as narratively, like, that whole bit is perfect, Asuna is stronger. Yeah, Pink's strong. That, like, that was the first thing we saw about her. Man, remember that that one where she just, like, where Weisel tried to mess with her? And she just, like, grabbed him and chucked him into the air? God. What a gift. Oh, she's great. What a treasure. I hope she gets another focus episode soon. I, I understand why we can't do it right now. Cause... Yeah, I mean, we've been dealing with this Nada stuff, but, you know, give her... I would love to give see another freedom. episode of, like, her and Bomba hanging out. Yeah. Because they've, they've built a really interesting, like, background repertoire over the course of the show, and I, I'd love for, like, Bomba's got some emotional stuff he's got to deal with. And, you know, Asuna is, you know, he's not going to want to go to Ko because Ko's just going to tell him, like, no, but you gotta like Nada now. And I feel like Asuna, like, is a good person to sit and talk about that with. Where, you know, she's going to get him to come around, but she's going to understand because this dude did try and murder her. He tried to murder her with her best friend. Yeah, so, I mean, like, I feel like... (laughs) Those are a good pair of people to sit and have a conversation about whether or not they want him to be part of this team. That would be actually a really good one. Yeah. Especially, like, it, like 
Nada might even the thing I would want would be for Nada to try and come in on the conversation and like defend himself, and it's just like shove. No, you are on the team. We're figuring out how we feel about that. You don't get you don't get to tell us how we feel. He's like, just go go over there. Yeah, we'll talk to there. you once we've sorted this out. Yeah, hang out with Ko. Ko is super hyped to have you here. It's speaking of super hype. God, it's so incredibly yeah, just, hype. We can talk about the good stuff now. <laughs> Hooray. Yeah, no, all, all of our, my problems with this are super, like, petty issues that mean, honestly, absolutely nothing. But, you know, we, we do have a part where we talk about problems and nitpicks, and sometimes you just gotta pick some nits. Yeah, just a little bit. But, okay, we get this from the off in episode 31, so to my delight, I get to talk about this immediately, because it's the first thing that happens. But the escalation of Bamba's bitterness and distrust towards Nada is just gorgeous. Yeah, it really is, though. Like, it, it highlights so many parts of the hashtag lore, and also how far Bamba's come as a person. Because there was a time near the start of the ser series where his reaction would have been less about, I am bitter and mistrustful, and more like, hey, I'm just going to cut this dude in half. Or at least he would have tried. But it's it's growth. It is, and I'm proud of him. Um, but there's just so many layers to it. Like, he's harboring a lot of hurt over this friend, or as I am prone to interpreting it, ex-boyfriend. Which, look, might not be textual, but that is subtextual as heck, and I support that reading. Yeah, I know what I saw. But, like, he's he's harboring a lot of hurt about this person he cares about in whatever way, literally walking out on him. He's got this fear of Geysorg and what it did to his masters. And he's also just viciously protective of his family, which now includes Ko and the rest of the team. And, you know, knowing this is Nada, specifically targeting Ko... Like, this is a lot for him to take on. Nada is the encapsulation of all of Bamba's trauma. Like, all of it. And all he knows how to do in relation to his trauma is scream and swing a sword at it. Even if this is something that's so incredibly out of his depth for screaming and swinging a sword at. Yeah, screaming and swinging a sword doesn't help this kind of thing. Sadly. Like, it's it's just so clear that when Bamba is arguing with Ko about the fact that Nada chose to put this on because he was desperate for power, like, Bamba is hurt that those are the choices Nada made. You can see it in his face. And you can really understand why, too. Because, like you said, this is all of his trauma, and... From his point of view, you'd have to imagine, Nada's just crapping over all of the trauma. Like, he's he's willfully making it worse. He's While also just dumping on the legacies of Masters Green and Black, because on top of choosing this armor, he's choosing this armor that perverted the legacy of maybe his dad, but at least, at least Toa's mentor, which his ex-boyfriend, like, yeah... Not as destroying Master Green's name, or at least destroying his, his ability to have an uncomplicated legacy. And that's essentially destroying the name of his dad, while waving around the gun that killed his dad, and threatening his 
his extended family, and especially his little brother. And like, mm, that'll get you, wouldn't it? Yeah, the that's a lot for this already trauma ridden dude to handle. Yeah, he was not exactly emotionally literate when we started this show. And he's certainly not now. No. He's, he's like you said, he's trying, bless him, but... It takes time. there. And, like, speaking of, the way that this kind of pushes Ko and Bamba to either further extremes of how they view the different sides of this conflict is another really gorgeous ex- escalation. Because, yeah, you've got the... the optimism of the guy who chose to be kind and knows that that's a choice people can make versus the pragmatic pessimism of a guy who has who who rather who was in his first appearance ready to murder someone to stop their minosaur from wreaking havoc it's very different worldviews that are getting pushed even further apart which yeah yeah because as far as bomba can tell this guy that he knew and cared about is totally gone like, as at this point, as far as he knows, Nada is essentially dead. He he is gone. But Ko just sees the information of Nada has been overpowered by the Geysorg armor as, well, we just need to get rid of Geysorg. And then all that's left is Nada. And I love how later in the episode that's reflected when Bamba hesitates during the fight when, you know, Melt runs in and is like, hey, Ko believes in Nada, we're going to believe in Ko, and this is what we're going to do. And the team runs in, and he doesn't. He's not ready to believe in Ko's faith in Nada, because his own faith in Nada has been so shaken over the decades that him coming in here with this armor was the final straw, and he can't reconcile it. But again, it comes back down to Toa being the deciding factor, which, again, I still really love. Yeah. Like, he is our insert into this conflict, and he is the deciding factor of what we, as the viewer, are meant to believe is right. And we get that moment during the fight where Nada breaks through long enough to express regret to Toa, and that's enough to at least push him to the side of Nada is in there and we have to save him. And again, just one more time, This was such a beautiful, natural progression for Toa. Like, even though we know the show sides with Red, so we know that they're gonna go towards what Ko wants, because that's how Sentai does, Toa makes his own decisions and asks his own questions before... He doesn't even really pick a side. He's never really leaning one way or the other until he knows everything that's going on. And he doesn't quite take Ko's side of we're just gonna keep going at this until Nada is safe. He's just like, okay, I know Nada is in there. We have to find a way to get to him. Which, and look, done wrong, that character beat can be terribly frustrating. But that hardly matters here because they didn't do it wrong. I mean, they, they could have had a whole big bit about Toa just loudly angsting or sitting by the river to think about what it all means, man. But instead he's out there getting the info and making a decision based upon it, and it's great, and it also lets him be the youngest character, but also one of the most important drivers of the plot. It's great. Yeah, it's... 
I feel like this is a little bit what they wanted to do in Q-Ranger with Kotaro and never quite made it because I don't think the writer really wanted to write him. No, well, and even if he did, there were a lot of other characters going on. Yeah, like, it just, it felt like the the writer didn't want to write him beyond this is a way for Stinger to process his older brother trauma. Yeah. But, Which, I mean, worked, but... Yeah, it just, you know, he had the, the inklings of a bigger story arc that we never quite got to. Mm. But uh, on a lighter note, thank God these idiots have Melt, who is the only person in this show who knows how to properly employ a strategic retreat so they don't all die horribly. Which is why I really want Tiramigo to just start being nicer to Melt. I know he's relatively nicer than he was earlier, but still. Even nicer to Amigo, he's a good dude. My, my boy is still grounded. I do adore how quickly they kind of raise the stakes with trying to use Shine Raptor, and it doesn't work to heal Ko. Because um, Shine Raptor, Shadow Raptor, and the combined Cosmo Raptor are all stupid broken. Like, if if they could just all heal up immediately like, in the middle of fighting Geysorg, like, nothing would even matter. Yeah, the the show is dead. But even, you know, having this wildly broken power, like, there's contingencies where it doesn't work. And that's a really nice story detail, and I kind of hope that it's setting up for some larger thing where... Just, you know, something happens, and it doesn't work, and they're like, does- how is this connected back to the Ryu Soul Tribe? Because it can't heal us if it's inter-Ryu Soul Tribe conflict. That would be fascinating. That would be some interesting Actually. business to use, uh, if maybe Mosa Rex gets a little angry later. Um, but well, I, feel I, like, feel like I feel like that story's a little bit dead. Done. Yeah, sadly. But- I don't know, I just love there to be some situation that seems like our normal status quo fighting the monsters, and, you know, we gotta heal ourselves with Shine Raptor, and it doesn't work. And they're like, what do you mean it doesn't work? And Seto shows up, like, I told you, doesn't work with a Ryu Soul Tribe fighting. And they're like, what do you mean who here is involved with the Ryu Soul Tribe? Wouldn't you like to know? Yeah. And it also kind of makes the... I mean, like you said, it, it would create some interesting plot and also makes it so that they're not quite so uh, wave the magic wand, which lets you appreciate it more when they can use it. Because massive utility that is limited in scale, that's how you do. Yeah. Also, the, the bit of everyone, like, hearing the music and starting to dance, and Bamba just, like, kind of starts dancing, like, section by section of his body and it doesn't even realize that this is happening until it's pointed out and he kind of looks at himself as like oh huh what do you know like that is hilarious yeah it really is and it kind of goes back to that old slapstick principle which is physical comedy is funnier in direct proportion to the amount of stuffy dignity a character has and look uh bomba got dignity for days yo <laughs> He's never, ever done a dance, and if he did, 
he would only do it with someone off screen telling him and showing him what the moves are because he can do it he just doesn't yeah he can he just won't unless you know his brother and co guilt him into it yep or he gets a magic spell put on him dance magic dance ah dang it now i'm gonna have bowie stuck in my head all night what a shame i I could watch labyrinth it's been a while since i watched labyrinth god it's been a while since i've watched labyrinth I don't even know if it's necessarily a good... Anyway, I like that movie. That's what I'm saying. Moving on, uh, before we just start with the dance magic dance. So the fact that Crayon is worried about hearing the music and having it affect her is really interesting. Is it because she's not a Druidon and the Druidon are immune? Because Weisel doesn't have earplugs in and he isn't affected. Why are the Druidon immune to it? Minosaur aren't Druidon. They're not even created by Druidon because Crayon is not one. Like, part of me feels like I should be bothered by it, but I feel like it's such an interesting question that, like, people could spin out into some really interesting fanfic that I'm actually pretty into it. Because I don't need it answered in show because it's kind of just a throwaway joke. But it raises some lore questions that I think fans would have a lot of fun playing with, and I like when fans have that room to play. Yeah. How you how any single person relates to the lore and world building of anything is, is always an incredibly personal thing, but at the same time, yeah, it is great when you can take a moment like that, just some throwaway gag, and build out to make something new. Like, I won't say that any strain of fandom is bulletproof, because... Boy, we know that's not true. But the urge to transform and fill in blanks and and sort of expand based on weird little throwaway lines as a way of explaining the kinds of engagement that we have as as viewers or consumers or, or whatever the word should be, like, that's awesome to me. For instance, speaking of throwaway lines that just create the entire world for me, in in Common Rider Black, there's this one throwaway line where Minami Kotaro refers to Common Rider Black as his repress form. And like, boom, that is dominoes fall, cogwheels just are turning in place because, oh, well, that says everything about his character. And now I have this very idiosyncratic view of what Common Rider Black is like in the show that is... That is something that apparently I'm the only person who gets really hyped about. <laughs> I just think that it's a neat little throwaway line. And that's just so people will know that I'm not just blowing smoke. I think it's actually a very fun way and healthy way to engage with the media you like. Though that's not to say that also there's anything wrong with just, I like those two, I want them to smooch. Yeah, I mean, y'all do I, y'all, uh, I just... There's, I just really like interesting lore questions. I, during Tokyujur, I was super interested in the dynamic between Nero and Noir, which we, the show just never, never gave me. Never did anything with. And I was forced to spin that out entirely on my own, because there is something there. There is an entire fight the two of them have that we cut away from and never address that it happened. 
and it is the only real problem I have with Tokyuger. My biggest problem was I kept hoping that Gritta would, like, her, her, like, the monster form is a larval form, and then when she, like, turned into an adult or a teenager, she would join the Tokyugers. I want her to be Tokyu Zero. She'd, like, have a thorny track pattern. Yeah, she'd be, she'd be the goth Tokyuger. And that'd be kind of a nice play on, uh, on our orange one, on Akira, because he's, he's the one who talks about wanting to die, but he just wants to hang out with kittens. And she'd just be like, she'd just be like the Wednesday Adams. I, I, see, again, we spin out because it's fun and it describes our engagement and understanding of the story and characters. I'm not even going to get into my Madame Noir headcanons. Oh, we we have gotten into those off mic on the past, and possibly sometimes on mic. Probably. Because uh, we are, we both have a we lot of nerds. feelings about her. Yeah. Tokyuger. Good villains. We like Tokyuger. Great series. Yeah, Tokyuger. Very good. Safe to say. But let's, let's keep on this one, because, uh, just a peek behind the curtain, we tend to start our recording sessions with, like, an hour, maybe two of just getting the tangents out. Today, for scheduling reasons, haven't been able to. So this is a ride. <laughs> it's a little more work to stay on task. So, I'm sure we've brought this up before, but I love how when an unaffected part of the team doesn't want to deal with the rest of the team being affected by a Minosaur, they just put the affected part of the team down for a nap. Like, that's a mood. I feel that. Yeah, no. Like, Minosaur, ugh, can someone else do it? I'm tired, or depressed, or anxious, or I just don't want to. I... They've got enough skills that I can honestly believe that sometimes someone just sits out because they just aren't feeling it that day. Like, sometimes you just you just gotta take a nap. I mean, yeah. Especially when you're fighting a giant monster. You know what? I bet you'd want to take a nap in the middle of that if you could. God, I, I want to take a nap in the middle of much less, so I am sure. Hashtag mood. So now that we've got Geysorg fully in control of the person wearing the suit, in this case Nada, it's a lot more reminiscent of how we saw him in Strongest Battle, which I think is really interesting. Uh, because I remember as we were first seeing Geysorg within Ryu Soldier, we're like, hmm, he's real different than we saw him in Strongest Battle, and I'm, I wonder why that is. Where, you know, now that it is the armor fully in control, it's much more similar. Which means Geysorg got complete control of Luka and Takaharu pretty dang quick. Like, Takaharu was pretty much instant, and I imagine Luka had to have been too, since the Gokaijers didn't know she was in there at first, meaning... Like, if Luka was in control of this armor at any point, I feel like she would have gone on the ship and be like, Guys, look how awesome I look in this. <laughs> I got this I cool mean, sword. I, I mean, look, could you blame her if that was the case? Yeah, so, like, the fact that when Geysorg first attacks the Gokaijers, they don't know who it is until they're fighting and recognize the sword work. I have to imagine it got control of Luka pretty much instantly. But Marvelous was able to hang on to himself for quite a bit there, wasn't he? 
Yeah, like he I mean, pretty much fought it off, and Nada's been carrying on for at least a couple of months, if not, you know, maybe a couple of years. We don't know how long he's had this, though. I think the implication is that he got it at the end of Strongest Battle. But, you know, even if he got it, like, roughly at the beginning of when Ryu Soldier happens, it's been, like, six months since then. More than that. So, he's been fairly in control of himself for a while. So I'm wondering what that's supposed to say about Luka and Takaharu, because that doesn't sound very kind. And I know I'm also not the kindest to either of them, one of them in particular, but I expect that from me. I don't expect that from Toei. Well, okay. Now, I do know that I'm a much bigger fan of Luca than you are, and honestly, like, having heard some of your your issues, I have had to take a look at that, and, and I wonder if there's not some unexamined sexism there, because... I think she's great. At the same time, she does spend a lot of her time, like you say, assaulting her friends. And that's pretty aggressive on the face of it, and not a thing I think I'd be... I don't know if I'd feel the same about a dude who did that. And, you know, that's that's a thing I'm dealing with. But that's just upfront. Hey, examine how you think about violent people generally. But also admit that maybe you have different opinions of them based on their gender expression or what have you. That's that's a part of trying to exercise your critical faculties. Um, but all that said, for all I am fond of her, with all of the caveats I just mentioned, the kind of strong will she has is very straightforward and driven, as is, to my thinking, Takaharu. Compared to Not and Marvelous, though, Nod and Marvelous have complicated desires. Marvelous wants to be stronger for a special, limited purpose in that moment. Because why is he put on the helmet? He puts the helmet on because that way he will find out where his friend is. He doesn't want to be stronger. He doesn't want to be the greatest fighter. He doesn't really want to fight people. He just wants to get in there and steal back what was stolen from him. Uh, and then... Like Takaharu, Takaharu again. He just he just want to be he just want to be the best ninja. But Nada wants recognition and self worth. Which, like, look, the suit can give him strength. The suit can make him an excellent fighter. But being a good fighter in a suit isn't the same as feeling self worth and and like you are recognized by the person you care about. So it's going to have a lot more trouble getting its hooks into him. It's not going to stop trying, but it's going to have more trouble because he doesn't want to be the best fighter. Um, and again, like, it has had months to work on him, possibly years. And that's a very long bit of headcanon, but I, I feel like that way we can read it so it's not insulting Luka and Takaharu. Or, Sona, you can look at it as, as insulting Luka, as you will, but... it's. I mean, I definitely think you're right. I'm not sh I'm still not quite sure why it would be able to get Luca so instantly because Luca's not super worried about strength. Um, if anything, Luca would be worried about stealth as she is more of the rogue of the group. That's true, yeah. Um, but I like 
Luca is very straightforward in her design. She just wants to get stuff. She just wants to steal things. And I don't know if maybe the suit somehow... Well, it just wants to be strong. It's a berserker suit. So I can't imagine it would, like, adapt itself to, like, somehow be more stealthy. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But it's... I feel like it would be very... stealth is a part of your fighting style. Yeah, I mean... It does absorb your fighting style. But I do feel like it... Luca would be easier probably than any of the team to take over specifically because her desire boils down so easily to I just want to steal where you know everyone else is varying degrees of more complicated depending on who you ask and you know Takahara wants to be the best ninja which again Suit armor not really uh, geared towards stealth. In fairness, th- these are Sentai armor and Sentai ninjas. Yeah, I mean to be fair, Takahara is also not super geared towards stealth. No, no, he is not. But boy, then he was taken over by the armor, and he was cold and calculated, and man, he was menacing. Yeah, but I mean, you know, you want to be the best ninja, you gotta do the best fighting for that, so I guess, you know, it gets in there pretty easily. But it just, it felt very... And it's not really an upfront thing. This is something you gotta kind of think about to even realize that these discrepancies of how quickly it's taking people over are even there. Uh, but, you know, that's what we do here. We think too yeah, much exactly. about that's everything. About. And I'm just like, wow, that's... A less than kind opinion on Luka and Takaharu, especially Luka, because, you know, they love, they love Gokaiger. We are, every, everyone loves Gokaiger. We all love Gokaiger, myself included. My opinions on Luka aside. But I'm just like, wow, didn't expect to uh, see y'all shade and Luka that hard. Feeling a little vindicated, maybe. <laughs> Not about the things I'd like to feel vindicated about, but, you know, I'll take what I can get. So, Piton breaking the, the seal on himself to save Oto was just so sincere that I couldn't help feeling kind of moved by it. Because it's such a cliche thing where it's like, oh, you gotta, you gotta be in danger to access your true power and you really access it by protecting someone else that you care about. Like, that's that's the biggest shonen trope. It's the most shonen trope that exists. But it's presented in such a sincere way where I just, I buy it and I take that emotional hit. There's no tongue-in-cheek kind of laughing at itself for feeling a feeling. It's just like, no, this pterodactyl really cares about this girl, and he wants to be, like, her dino knight. Which, like, look, like you said, it is as obvious as the day is long, but it hits, because, okay, look, I know we've gone round and round and round on on these shows about Koichi Sakamoto's bad proclivities, or we focus on his action, 
but it's cheese moments like that where you remember that he was the head dude on Kamen Rider Forza. Well, the head director, anyway. But Kamen Rider Forza is a show that is almost nothing but cliche moments played remarkably straight, but you buy it the entire time, because for whatever reason, besides the fact that uh, uh, the guy playing Gentro, uh, Sota Fukushi? Yes. Yes. Like, he is charming as the day is long. Yeah, like, every time he puts on that smile, like, he just knocks you out, but... It's, Forza is just this amalgamation of wildly talented people who can all sell really cheesy, cliche things with the most amount of honesty. Because, I mean, again, you've got Soda Fukushi, you've got Koichi Sakamoto, and you've got Kazumi Nakashima, who also wrote Gurren Lagann, which is just a giant pile of cliche shonen tropes presented in the most earnest and heartfelt way. To the point where, like, they somehow 360 toxic masculinity, and, like, they go full circle in this way where it's, they hit toxic masculinity so hard that it's about being vulnerable and emotional. Aww. Nice. Gurren Lagann is amazing, and... One day I have to sit down and watch it, yeah. Uh, if y'all saw Promare... Which is the thing right now. Uh, studio Trigger movie. Again, it's the same folks. And there's so much in Promare that is, like, lifted directly from Gurren Lagann. There's a lot of things that come from a lot of previous Trigger works. It's a big amalgamation of kind of everything that they've done from their time in Gainax to now. Uh, but if you like Promare, watch Gurren Lagann. You'll be into that. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. I look as soon as it's playing somewhere over here, I'm going. But um, anyway, let's let's move yeah. on. Yeah, um, and it is cool that the flying dinosaur was given ice powers. Uh, that's right. a really unexpected change up. Usually, that's like a wind thing or a lightning. Yeah, lightning or wind, uh, something very sky based. Maybe even you may get like water and have it kind of focused on storms, but ice. Ice is interesting. Um, I mean, I know snow is a thing, but it's not really snow. It's specifically, like, frozen chunks of water. Um, it doesn't look great on Ko, because Ko is red, and there are only a very small amount of colors that work on a suit that is, like, 90% bright red. But the armor itself looks pretty cool, and I think it would do good on a few others. Oh, yeah. It's going to look sweet on, like, Melt, or, honestly, like you mentioned earlier, Oto, if they ever let her henshin. Yeah, do it. Like, I like, honestly... If she can't be a gold, mate, let her be a silver. Yeah, that would or... be sick. Right? Like, speaking of, I honestly think it would look amazing on Conalo since it's got a bunch of gold on it, and the light blue would go nice with the dark blues that he's got going on. So I kind of understand why he's bummed he didn't get it, because it would look really good on him. Yeah, it, it would. And honestly, that'd make another blue and yellow, or I guess blue and gold in this case, suit that you don't entirely despise in as many months. Yeah, look, these are these are important things. Cause... The design teams this year are good. Yeah, they really are. They're turning out some really great stuff. 
and the fight using the piton soul i don't even know what it's actually called but using that against geysorg that was a sick fight yeah it was and honestly i'm kind of fond of the robot form i really like it i dig that piton is his own robot that fits with the style of the ones we already have but also is just a really cool design in his own right that i kind of like better than any of the other robots this show has going on as much as, like, I don't dislike any of them, I kind of like him the best. And he does no, have fair. those, like, translucent plastic bits that we love so much. Yeah, no, I am such a sucker for those. And also, on top of that, Piton is another core robot instead of one that just adds on to, to like, Tiramigo. But it's also a core robot that doesn't invalidate Tiramigo. And I just... Sometimes when they introduce the new, like, robot, they just throw out the old one, and I'm glad we didn't do that for Tiramigo, because he's my precious son. Yeah, I mean, they definitely, by making Tiramigo, like, a character with a voice who hangs out in the house, they definitely were like, yeah, we have given him armor against not showing up. Yes. Thank goodness. So then, uh, circling into 32, I kind of really adore that opening shot where Asano, like, puts the box of soy milk down on the table, and you kind of rack focus from that to Ko, and then, you know, we kind of wide shot out to the room, and she's asking how we're gonna save Nada, and, like, even the bit where she turns to Melt, because he's the smart one, and he's totally at a loss... The moment is just framed so beautifully, and the lack of background music or noise that makes it immediately clear just how much tension we're starting the episode with. Because no one knows, they know what they need to do, but they have no idea how to do it. Yeah, no, and, like, look, who could blame them for being at a loss? Like, there's not a lot of ways out of this situation that, frankly, don't rely on that most reliable, but hardest to plan for, power of love to overcome certain obstacles. Because without power of love, like, there's no way that this works without Nada being dead. And there's a degree to which I appreciate them trying to lighten that moment with Tiramigo getting kind of jealous of Piton, getting attention, but I'm not quite sure it landed the way they intended because uh, again this is like the first shot of the episode and this is a show for eight-year-olds so i appreciate that they tried not to be too heavy but all i could think like as this was happening was this is not the time and tiramigo like learned to read the room you gotta learn that as much as piton does yeah look my boy he's got a good heart but he does share his father's occasional difficulties with social cues. And honestly, if he weren't so rough with people about his his lack of reading the room, it wouldn't be so bad. But ironically, since he's going to end up flying later in this episode, I really do got to ground my boy a little longer. Yeah, it just, just it, it didn't work. Yeah. They tried, and said, I, I appreciate they tried, but it didn't work. I will say it like... At least they're better at, like, lightening the overall mood than, look, I like Kamen Rider build. Some of their attempts to tone correct were not great. No, they they could be a little harsh in, uh, yeah. 
little bit mood whiplashy. Yeah, they just not good at finding that happy medium. This one much better at it. Not perfect, but in fairness, boy, there's there's only so much you can do to distract from. So uh, that guy we all met and hung out with and like have broken bread with and liked. Uh, we're gonna have to kill him, aren't we? That's that's heavy. Yeah. And speaking of, like, God, Bamba's flashbacks to, like, when he knew Nada are heartbreaking. Oh, it's so true. Like, I know I talked a lot about how much he's hurting over this with the last episode, but, like, Nada's clearly a dude that he has had a very rough relationship with over the years because he does care about this dude, and he sees the potential that Nada has that Nada can't figure out how to live up to. And, you know, they clearly would get in fights about this until, until, you know, Nada leaves. Suddenly realizing that Nada is going to end up being a character people look back on in their, like, teens and early 20s. And they're just like, okay, I don't know what I want. Or if they do know what they want, I don't know how to get what I want. And they're just, just these weird little balls of anger. And, and frustration and just like, I don't know what to do. Everything you're telling me to do doesn't get me where I'm going. Which, boy, that is, um... I'm not gonna say the worst feeling, but it's it's a pretty bad one. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, this is a good sociopolitical time and place for Nada to exist. Yeah. Especially since, like, it given what happens by the end of the episode, it's also, hey, hey, in your, when you're young, in your 20s, maybe maybe you think some stupid stuff, and you go to some dumb places, because you you're so frustrated you don't know what you're doing. Guess what? You can come back. There's still time to change the road you're on. Which, um, yeah, man, uh, you, you grow a lot between 20 and 25. Yeah. And you grow a lot more between 25 and 30. Yeah. who boy. <laughs> it's it's amazing, like, you, you grow so much just in those first 20 years. And then it's just, like, you find whole new ways to grow as you get older. It's neat, but also, no one prepares you for it. <laughs> no one, they just, everyone is so happy to be like, oh yeah, when you're older, you'll just get it. And everything will just stay the same. It's like, no, no. <laughs> I guess that just means that the people who told you that are boring and, and or bad. Yeah. Uh, but, man, even that bit where Nada just gets up, he just gets fed up with trying to make being red work and just walks out on everything. Like, Bamba's not angry. In all of the other flashbacks, they're, like, fighting. In this one, he's not angry. He's sad, and he's hurt that this guy is just leaving. And we shift back to him in the present, and you can see on his face that he's still carrying all of that baggage. And I've got to give Kishida Tatsuya credit for being able to show a really clear difference in those emotions in a really stoic character, because not everyone can do it. And we've seen plenty of guys who tried and couldn't do it. 
looking directly at you, Kagami Hero. And, I mean, I believe his name is Toshiki Seto, and he, I feel like he tried his best with what he had, because there are, whenever Hero was at an extreme emotion, he could do it. I don't think he knew really how to shift between subtle emotions for a character like that. Which, I mean, look, not all tokusatsu actors can be as skilled or handsome as Kishida Tatsuya. True, and it's fair. It's just an unfortunate fact of the of the industry. That moment where Bamba walks off past the camera and we're just slowly zooming out on Toa, trying to figure out why his brother just <laughs> mumbled something and walked off. Like, that whole shot is amazing. Yeah, it really is. Honestly, okay, for all we have talked about Sakamoto landing some bits, Kamehoro Ichikazuya is also doing some amazing work in this episode. And honestly, like, real quick, I'm just going to take a second to focus on Kazuya, because there were moments throughout 32 where the kind of magical unreality of things hit so hard for me that I spent half the episode swearing that they brought in Hidenori Ishida, uh, who was the lead director of Kamen Rider's Kuga, Blade, Hibiki, and Kabuto. In case you wondered how much I like that dude. Because, <laughs> like, there's there's a kind of shakiness and emotional realness, and just some of the angles gave me that intense emotional reality stroke hyper-reality stroke unreality thing that that honestly some of the most intense bits of Kuga gave me. Or, like, there were bits that felt like almost as big as the obelisk in Blade, you know, when it twists 90 degrees in the middle and it's somehow the most nightmarish thing you've ever seen. Sono, you you like Blade. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. I just got the most horrible feeling in my gut from you just saying it. Yeah, yeah, it's just... I mean, look, I, I know it is it is not exactly a compliment to say an artist whose work you like, you like because you mistook them for someone else's art. But at the same time, like, I am mistaking him for someone who I think is one of the great tokusatsu directors... So, like, good on you, Kazuya. I continue to look forward to seeing what you do, because every time I realize you directed an episode, it blows my mind. Yeah, I mean, I believe Kazuya's a younger, or at least newer, director for Toei. And, I mean, that means he's got to be at least looking at, if not trying to learn from, some of the greats in past work to the point where he's starting to really master their techniques, and that ain't a bad look. No, no it is not. And, real quick, uh, he was born October 21, so happy birthday, uh, about a month late by the time this goes up, uh, in 1986, so, relatively speaking, he's, he's a baby. You know, he's our age. Yeah. Oh, no. He's he's no, sitting between he's sitting between the two of us, age wise. Yeah. So I mean, ain't a bad look. Nah. 
nah. And yeah, it learned from the masters and learned more than just to replicate by rote, learned how to use the tools. And these are like, I have a lot of thoughts about art, but it's, it all comes down to, there's a difference between a series of events and a story. This dude knows how to tell a story with camera angles and filters and so on. Yeah. As does, look, as does Koichi Sakamoto. But this dude does it as, does it in a way that reminds me of my favorite tokusatsu director and also isn't a complete purbo horndog. You know, the little things. Like, a part of me is like, oh, we, you know, I should lay off Koichi Sakamoto, but then it's like, nah. But then you remember Girls in Trouble happened and he deserves everything he gets. Yeah, you know, cut it out for like five years, we'll talk. Honestly, I think if he did cut it out for five years, I would be like, oh, okay. Doesn't excuse it, but... Doesn't uh. excuse it, and doesn't mean he's changed, but he's at least, like, gotten it out of the kids' show. Yeah, at, look, I don't I don't demand, like, personal transformation. All I ask is some freaking decorum. Don't be horny on Maine if Maine is a kids' show. Like, go, go direct Garo if that's what you want to do. Honestly, I think I think they'd like him over there. Except I think Keita Amamiya is probably just like, nah, I got my own thing going. We're good. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but come, come back to Ryu Soldier. Yeah, come back to the subject. Like, once again, it just goes as hard as possible with Nada trying to cut his own throat to escape right. Geysorg. The suit won't let him, because I guess it needs a living body in it to work? Because otherwise, why not? He can't resist if he's dead. So I guess whoever's in it has to be alive. But the fact that Ryu Soldier is repeatedly willing to put stakes on the table that are literally life or death is deeply harrowing and very appreciated. Yeah, and I mean, look, they've been doing that from episode one. Because yeah. they opened this show with killing three actually kind of fairly fleshed out saving mentor characters. Which, again, like, I know that he didn't write it, but that was a Kamihoroichi Kazuya joint. And, um, again, we've been praising that dude from the jump. It's just, wow, he's good. Yeah, made it happen. Episode, again, I know that that's, it's also because of, uh, Yamoka Junpei writing it, but there's writing it and then there's watching them just anyway. <laughs> it's it's a lot. Um but that that having them having done that makes it much easier to buy when they bring life or death stakes back up later, like here, because even though we're all intellectually sure it's gonna be alright, we can't be certain because they did wipe out those t people from the jump. And and that means we know they're capable of killing people, and barring the odd visit from the land of the dead, they stay dead. Like, maybe there'll be a miracle at the end and everyone's mentors will return, but, like, honestly, they will have earned it by the end. Because <laughs> what they've done already has earned it in Sentai standards, you know? But you gotta imagine that It'd be there mostly so their mentors could do the whole, like, yeah, like, you can call me Master Red, but I'm not your master anymore, kid. I have nothing left to teach you. Like, 
that it'd be that moment. But I, I do get distracted. Uh, I'm just saying, like, the kid playing Nada is so intense. And there are moments where you buy that maybe, just maybe, power friendship ain't gonna save the day. Which, like, look, intellectually you know, oh, that's silly. This is Sentai. In Sentai, the power of love and friendship saves everything. I mean, and look, yet you're the, afraid. I mean, look, the power of love uh, wasn't enough for Ko to save his mentor. It wasn't even close. Like, to the point where Master Red's the only one of the three that hasn't come back briefly from the dead to kind of give, you know, like, Master Pink and Master Blue came back to give their students some closure, and Ko hasn't gotten that. I mean, I was totally willing to believe that Nada was going to go down in order to take Geysorg down with him. That seemed like an option. And, like, you know, they, they beat it up, they've kind of got Geysorg on the ropes, but then he's pushing back and Nada breaks through and manages to, to do what he's got to do, even if it costs him his life. I really thought that was an option... I thought it was a thing that could happen. And I trust this show to have pulled it off in a way that felt meaningful. But I'm really glad that they didn't and went with this. Oh, yeah. Because this is much harder to sell, and they sold it. Yeah, yeah. Like, happy endings are, are they're great. They're nice most of the time. Sometimes they actually kind of get mad at them. But... They're especially good when they are earned, and oh boy, <laughs> does Ryu Soldier make us earn them. Yeah. Like, it's, I, I hate to always go back to Yasuku Kobayashi, she does make you work for those happy endings sometimes, though. If she's gonna give you one. <laughs> yeah, ooh, yeah, O's. Mm. You know. But, yeah, like... They earn their, they earn every happy ending. But like you said, honestly, I think it would have been like poetically satisfying if he had died. I'm glad he didn't, but I would have bought it as a as a bit of the drama and and a thing the show was willing to do. I don't think there's anything especially virtuous or non-virtuous in in you know, killing a character and making them dead. But that would have been one more thing for the show to do that would have changed the show. And that's, it's, it's exciting to think yeah. that they could have done it, but they did the happy ending and that matters too. So on a, on a much, much lighter note, yeah, uh, I'm going to very generously interpret Melt being upset in the scene where Oto like lashes out at him as him just not really doing great with anyone being mean to him because especially someone who has been so nice to him because man people are just not nice to this kid because the bit where like ko and bamba just kind of pat him on the shoulder while staring off into the middle distance like while asuna just like oh well we're not dealing with this right now and just picks oto up to remove her from the situation was actually really funny, especially just co-staring off into the middle distance, because I feel like he has seen this a hundred times and knows, like, there is nothing I can say right now to make him feel better, we just need to move on. 
And also, hey, Asuna, thanks for just taking the source of the conflict away. Like, I honestly, like, first off, yes, it is freaking hilarious. <laughs> but also, like, I, I just like to think that, yeah, Melt is just surprised that, but she's normally cool to me. I can I can count on Oto 100% being cool to me, and now she's just not. This sucks. One more person crapping on me. Great. I feel Poor so guy. bad for him. Yeah. Again, this is why my son is grounded. That that boy gets enough crap. You, you don't need to add to it to your amigo. But uh, the villain plan to concentrate hatred was actually pretty awful. And by awful, right. I mean like a terrifying villain plan. Mm-hmm. Like, if they had picked a different week to do this, they could have caused a lot of damage. And honestly, I'm surprised that it both took Kurion this long to use one of the mooks to make a Minosaur, but also that they thought to use one of the mooks to make a Minosaur at all. Because it's just a really cool idea. Like, they're there, you've got pretty much an infinite supply of them. Why not try it? And it produced a really scary Minosaur. Yeah, it really was. Especially since, honestly, it just kind of looked like it would end up being one of the more innocuous ones. Oh, it's, it's, it's a how it's a, it's a jack o' lantern with an umbrella. That, like, I described that to you. That how could that be bad? That That's sounds precious. charming, actually. It sounds like the worst thing it's going to do is like, oh no, kids can't taste candy anymore. Which, I mean, that would be evil. That'd be just... But that's like... I feel like that's... uh, Like, Crayon on, like, an off day, just messing around evil. As opposed to this one, which is, like... Humanity tearing itself apart tooth and nail evil. Because, for reals, like... Yeah, hey, guess what? While the sun is shining... Everyone is the nicest they're ever going to be because they have no capacity for hatred. And then when it rains, hell begins. Like, jeez. <laughs> Which also brings us back round again to that whole bit from earlier in the Nada arc about Ko having to learn how to be kind again because a force that robs you of your goodness and exposes all of your cruelty is such a good hook to hang Nada and Ko conflicts on. Like, sure, yes, there's lots of other conflicts you could do, but this is very much this fight between Reds, even if Nada's not actually a Red at this point, but... or may, I say at this point, I, did you see the, the, the next episode preview? Yes, and I'm not 100% sure if that's Geysorg or some kind of upgrade for Ko? I was taking it as, as like, the redeemed Geysorg armor. Yeah, it's just, like, we still see Nada in, like, purple guys org. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm not, see. I'm just, I'm not 100% sure who it is. But we'll see. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it, it, maybe it's a Woolzord and Woolzord fire kind of thing. And that's kind of what I was taking, but, I hey, we'll find out. I'm very excited. Yeah, but... this is, we're finally uh, caught up. We're taking the uh, break-in episodes to catch up on our Ryu Soldier coverage, so we actually, for the first time in, like, three months, haven't seen what is ahead of what we're covering. Yeah, it's really exciting, actually. <laughs> but it's just, this is that conflict between Reds, a, a 
an actualized red and a potential red, but still, they are both, just structurally speaking in the story, reds. Which, like, it dovetail quite nicely to that bit you brought up a second ago about how Master Red's not had a post-death appearance yet. Because he's kind of got, like, the failed apprentice and his and his actual successor in battle, so of course he can't show up yet. Yeah, and I'm I'm kind of wondering if he's going to at all, because having Ko and Nada together, he doesn't really need to because they've got Master Red in each other. Yep, that's true. And they've I mean, kind of surpassed his teaching at that point. Yeah, it's just Nada sees so much of Master Red in Ko, and I feel like the more... Ko knows Nada as himself instead of as this guy who is being corrupted by Geysorg, he's probably gonna see a lot of a different side of Master Red in Nada. I just, I'm I'm very into it and like, this is the culmination of it so of course I'm very excited about it but they just, dang, they made it work. Yeah, they really did. But god, having that wide shot where Geysorg appears just turned 45 degrees was horrifyingly unsettling. Because, I mean, like, a Dutch angle is one thing. This is just a straight 45 degree turn. Yep. Or, just, I guess 90 degrees. It's a 90 degree turn, excuse me. It is just turned on its side. And His presence distorts reality that much. Yeah, and then you couple that with these really quick cuts. Not even a zoom in. It is cutting in to this extreme close-up of the helmet. And then they pull in this really high-contrast, high-saturation filter on shots that are just Geysorg. So he feels so unnatural and scary. Because the world isn't supposed to look like that. Yeah, the world is not meant to contain this thing. It is trying to eject him, but he will not be moved. <sighs> Honestly, like, I do have to make a better habit of, of seeing Kazuya's praises more, because uh, that stuff was affecting as heck, and also terribly appropriate for the Halloween episode, right? Yeah, it's... This is maybe going to be a little bit of an out-of-left-field reference. Um, Go for it. Not something maybe appropriate for to compare to a show that is meant for children. But it reminded me a little of some of the filters used in Tribe 12, which is one of the big uh, Slenderman YouTube ARGs. It's like uh -huh. one, of the, one of the original, like, big three. Um, which I think has just a lot of, it has the most interesting visual work of the three of them. Um, like, Everyman Hybrid is the scariest, but Tribe 12 is very scary at points. It is, it's got one really good jump scare and like no other jump scares, but it, it has some really interesting visual stuff done with it. And sometimes it is this really distorted, high saturation, high contrast, 
And this wasn't pushed quite that far because uh, those also tend to have a kind of low bit depth thing going on. So you only get like three or four colors. But it reminded me of that. It may, And it's like, oh, yeah, no, this is scary. This is something that's evoking horror. Yes. And that's before, like, it starts literally exhaling hate and pain and rage and just these this black smoke made of a billion screaming souls who've been trapped inside it for who knows how long, driven to madness and rage. Like, uh... It, it, look, normally a, a like a CG effect like that cannot be scary, but coupled with the camera work and the effects and just the entire everything they've built up around it, that was actually nightmarish to me. Yeah, like it was really scary and did a lot to highlight how much this thing is a monster that's using their friend's body, and there are actually and has a done lot of. So- before. Yeah, and has been doing this longer than any of them have been alive. Arguably and... longer than human history. Come to think. Yeah. But they actually use a lot of really interesting video filters in this episode. Um, like when, when Bamba is thinking about how they're all trying to save Nada with really no plan. We've got this shot of him, like, staring off into the distance where he's got this weird filter on him that gives him these chromatic aberrations um, kind of around the outline of him that is really similar to kind of what they use in flashbacks or when Geysorg was first showing up to just Toa that really highlights how on Bamba's mind this whole situation is and how more than anyone he really isn't sure what to do because he knows Nada more than anyone else does and he just can't reconcile it. But there's also this filter when the the hate aura of Geysorg's armor latches onto Ko there's this thing it does with his eyes, which is, yes. again, that, like, horror show nightmare that it feels like it should be really cheesy because I think all they're doing is, like, inverting the color over his eyes. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's not horrifying. Much. Yeah. It, it, look, when it comes to effects, it's not about what it is it's how you use it and like look they'd already sold guys or to me like i was sold that this thing is a threat but that additional bit it's just like no bad no i i really kind of hope that like uh kazuya is just at some point going to hear from parents groups like you gave my kid nightmares thanks he's screaming in the middle of the night that his toy is going to eat him and I'm like, I, because I could see that happening, because Geysorg is a nightmare. Yeah, he is. And I, I applaud them actually just making him a nightmare, <laughs> just going with it. Uh, to give Tiramigo a little bit of credit, even though he's grounded, I do adore the bit where he like tucks Oto in. 
Like that was yeah, very sweet. That was real good. And Look, then, he's not a bad guy. That's no. why he's just grounded. And you know, the whole bit of Piton being like, "Hey, buddy, you want to fly?" Like that was actually really cool. That line was delivered really well and got me really excited for like, what are you two gonna do? And I also just I really love that Tiramigo gets to become a separate Dino Knight with another Dino Knight, like we've gotten to see with you know Dime Volcano and Mosa Rex or Shine and Shadow Raptor, like especially with how jealous of Piton getting attention Tiramigo was. Because it seems like for Dino Knights to be able to do that and form an entire third identity, they need to have a really strong bond. So I'm like, I'm glad he figured out how to bond with this guy. And, you know, Terramigo is a great pun. Oh, yeah, it really is. And my boy got to fly! And he was so happy! And also I just realized... Is Terramigo... A fusion, like Steven Universe. Is Terramigo a conversation? Just throw it again, out there. You gotta. It seems like you gotta have some kind of bond to do that. So I believe there is a conversation. Yeah, I just I think that more than anything then points to how Dime Volcano and Mosa Rex they like need to work their stuff out because their combined form is a nightmare. <laughs> Not as not scary wrong. as Guy's Org, but mm, it's it, it. It's not fun looking. Yeah, no, it is. A, it is a body horror monstrosity. Anyway, um, yeah, let's let's move on. I just I'm very happy to just get to put a weird little bit of Steven Universe stuff in the as mentioned. But man, that cut in the music when in the middle of the fight, Bomba just gives up hope and is trying to stop Ko from reaching out. That was heartbreaking. There are just some really amazing editing and directing choices in this episode, and I know we've talked about them a bunch, but I cannot help pointing them out. Well, look, like, so often, I I think it's it's both a curse of uh, my areas uh, where I pay attention, and also kind of of the medium, because we are an audio thing, so talking visuals is kind of difficult, right? yeah. But it is it is proper to take time in an episode as visually lush as Ryu Soldier 32 is to acknowledge, hey, this rocked our socks. <laughs> and especially since, like, honestly, I feel like 32 is just one of those top-tier Sentai episodes, just generally. Just for all the visual storytelling it's doing, the way it sells these things, like... If you want, if someone was like, "Hey, show me one episode to sell me on the idea of Super Sentai," sure, you could show them thirty-two, and they wouldn't understand the complex backstory. But at the same time, it would tell you everything you needed to know about all of the characters involved. Everyone has a growth. Everyone makes a decision. There's action. There's adventure. There's drama. There's heartbreak. There's there's the bits where you're like. Wait, is that is that guy gonna is that guy gonna cut his own throat? Oh God! Like, it's it is a perfect episode of Sentai. Like, I know we had a nitpick for it, but it is still a perfect episode of Sentai. I mean, I feel like it was a pretty petty nitpick. Yeah, exactly. Like, I just saying, like, even even with that petty nitpick, it's a like 
it's a great episode of Sentai. Yeah, I mean, it's it's something that even though I brought it up, I will forgive it so easy to, easily because narratively, it makes more sense for it to be Ko. Yeah, exactly. But at the same time, like, mm, you got, you know, digging you a little, but only so much. Also, it made me realize that, dang, dude, we are in the 30s now? Yeah, a little bit. I have been biting my nails down to the skin, and now I realize that we are in, like, the last few laps, coming up on the home stretch, or, like, whatever sport and track and field metaphors I can mix and or mangle. Just, boy, it's it has been a minute since a Sentai felt like they were ramping up quite this much. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, can't like, believe we're so close to the end, but I also can't believe how far from the end we still are. Like, yeah, we've, we've still, seen what we've they could do still in got, 10 like, episodes. 15 episodes left. Yeah. Yeah. And we've seen what they could do in, like, five episodes. Yeah, like, how much is there still? And And no matter how much they give us, it's always going to feel like there could be more. And that's, um... That's a good feeling. And... I do love that Toa got to come up with and even execute the final plan to make Nada weak enough for the armor to fall off of him. Like, that was brilliant and beautiful, and once again, Toa being this midpoint between Bamba's fear and Ko's faith. Because Toa doesn't think they can just reach out and keep calling for Nada the way Ko is. He clearly doesn't think that's gonna work. But they can get the armor to abandon him, which will get them to the same end of setting Nada free. Which, like, look, kids got a future in the Sentai biz because that is a rock-solid plan. Can't stop what they're doing? Fine. Change their target. Make them start over. Sure, there's a lot to be said for it's bad to just kick the can down the lane, but... Same time. <laughs> better, better explode over there than right here, right? Yeah, I mean, same time, there's not another plan. Yeah, exactly. And and look, you know that Geysor would have a lot of work trying to dig into Ko. Because, like, there is just zero doubt that it would be tough for him. There'd be a lot of fight, and, and sure, he'd get there eventually, because I get the impression that Geysor just always wins eventually. Yeah, I mean, Geysor doesn't get worn down. Yeah, but, like, it would have been a great fight, but hey, you've got however long that fight lasts to to figure out how to get Ko out of there, but while with Nada's help, like, hey, this is, this is a zero-sum thing. Like, okay, he wins, but we also win. He gets one, we get one. Win. Just, it's, it's a good plan. He's, he's, they're a good Sentai, Brent. And, like, speaking of, the bit of Ko just on his knees fighting against this crystallization of hatred in his body as a character that we know has struggled with his own anger and hatred and chose to come out the other side as someone full of love is some of the best dang writing we've had in a long time in Sentai, if ever. Oh, yeah. Easily. Like, they set this concept up used all of the episodes between then and now, and even ones before it, like, retroactively, to make it clear how strongly 
being kind is not Ko's inherent nature, but is the way that Ko wants to and chooses to be. And then use this big mid-show story climax to just home run slam that concept directly out of the park. Yeah, no kidding. And look, like, again, for a thematic hook to hang a character on, you can do a lot worse than, yeah, it can be hard to be good, but it's worth the effort. Because, like, that is that is a beautiful sentiment, but also one that is fraught. And when he pushes through to get back to being our dude, it's it's hard not to feel for him. Especially if, like, like we've been, you're a regular watcher and you've watched him have these peaks and valleys and go through this stuff. And it just makes you think all the way back to, like, I want to say episode 5, you know, with the, the body horror turducken. And, like, it bites through his forearm, and he breaks off its bone, its tooth, you know, the one that is lodged in his arm, and you're just like, this boy. (laughs) Just all the things they've layered on about all of the characters. You'd think that the show in general would feel overstuffed or disjointed. Uh, Like, that's a thing that affected Q-Ranger. It's a thing that affected Kamen Rider Ghost. But this is so seamless of course like i'm not this is not to take away from it because i it is art um but that is the sort of thing that tends to happen when the series has to save the franchise see also uh the aforementioned Jetman or uh common rider kuga which was not so much to save the franchise as to end it and in fact just restarted it uh but just Mostly I just keep thinking of Jetman, because this, this has some of that same wild Jetman feeling, but also a lot more directed and without a lot of the Inouye-isms. Which, like, look, everyone knows I'm I'm a much bigger supporter of Toshiki Inouye than maybe anyone should be. But I just, I really enjoy Jetman. If you haven't seen it, you should. And if this show ends with someone bleeding out on a park bench after Conalo's wedding, I will cry. It does make me wonder if Car Ranger has any of that. I know Car Ranger is well known for being kind of goofy and non sequitur, but it was another one that was meant to kind of reset and save the franchise after, is it O-Ranger that came before it? Oh, wow, okay. Uh, like, I know O-Ranger tanked real bad. Uh, I think it's O-Ranger that came before it. I am not great with the order in this era, but whatever came right before Car Ranger uh, had a very, very dark yeah, it stretch was at the O-Ranger. end. Okay, yeah, and that did not go over well. Uh, so they they made Car Ranger deliberately very, very lighthearted. Um, but I'm kind of wondering if it maybe still has some of this stuff that is just not emotional on this level, but more on, like, a Maji Ranger level of the daily lives of people can be hard. Yeah, that's true. And I, I mean, don't know enough about Car Ranger to know one way or the other. Yeah, like, I don't, I'm not imagining that is the case after the first episode, but you know... Sentai is Sentai series can be very different between the first and last episodes. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. I feel like from 
like the first episode of Q Ranger, I wouldn't expect the the heavy Tsukai metal arc. Yeah, no, from the first episode of Q Ranger, we were just kind of like, uh, I don't know. I mean, even. I feel like even from the first episode of Gokaiger, I wouldn't expect some of the levels that Gokaiger hits. No one is ready for You Can At Least Save His Soul. God. It's impossible to be ready for it. Like, I. I shouldn't always go back to that one because it's cheap, but at the same time... Uh, but it's... Man, you're not wrong, though. Yeah. If that didn't, like, just... If that wasn't a gut punch for you, like, I don't... Like, we were watching very different shows. That that moment, though, kicked my entire face in. Right in the heart guts. But uh, coming back to Re-Soldier again... Yeah, yeah. Uh, with the conflict between Bamba and Ko that we've established over this arc and kind of how differently they feel about how they should be handling Nada, I do really love that Bamba is the first one to jump in and start fighting the armor off and is the one to give everyone else the call to action. Because even if they disagree on how to handle this specific ordeal... Ko is his family now, and it is Bamba's whole thing to put himself at the front of the line to protect his family. Yep. Look, getting that reluctant fist bump out of him, that was... you. We, no one knew that that was, oh, we're brothers now. But, uh, they're brothers now. Yeah. And just... The way he loses it when he sees Nada on the ground but still alive, he just sees his hand twitch and just loses everything. Like, that was gut-wrenching. Like, even if he's still hurt by being walked out on, even if he couldn't let himself believe in Nada, he still wanted to. He cares about this guy, and he's lost so much over the years, Nada included, that if Nada can get up and take responsibility and face this with them as part of the team, he might at least not have to lose Nada a second time. Yeah, and it's just, man, it's just beautiful. Just utterly beautiful. And, and look, in this case, I'm not just talking about Tatsuya Kishida's face. Like, it's, it's lost friends, finding one another, it's a moment of grace, it's a moment of redemption, and if not, like, honestly, it does feel like redemption. Like, you've been through the fire, you understand, you are taking responsibility. Like, there's love there, and it's beautiful, and it is what I love in Sentai. When Same. Sentai does it right, this is just like, yeah! And, like, look, fam, they kill me in the seconds after where Ko steps up and helps them push the armor back and lets yeah. everyone, but especially Bamba, feel how much Nada cares about the Ryu Soul Tribe and how much he wanted to be read to protect everyone. Like, seeing the whole team break down and cry for this guy who's been hurting and manipulating and trying to literally murder them because they want to believe that there's still good in him 
And then that moment where that extends to Nada and he grabs the sword as a symbol of him fighting back, that wrecked me, y'all. Yeah, no, that's, that is correct. That is the right reaction. Because, like, look, okay, earlier I mentioned, hey, Koichi Sakamoto, he can sell the heck out of a cliché. And I'm not taking anything away from that. Kazuya here shows that he excels at a th- at where you know it's a cliché. Because honestly, like, yeah, he grabs the sword, and that's that's to prove that he's fighting back. But it doesn't feel like a cliché. Like, it doesn't even feel like a cliché played honestly. It just feels like what what would happen. It It just... Everyone bands together like that to do the mid-season version of basically the ending of Forza, you know, where they tell the main villain that, hey, you know, we love and respect you. And it it's like that moment, but completely different, you know, because it's a different thing, but it just, it sells it in such a, an emotionally different way that is less about earnest satisfaction and more about just that complicated desire to push on through. Probably just because, yeah, we're, we're still close to how mean and petty and horrid some of Nada's moves were throughout. And, and like, the, the way they sell him getting to come around and be loved and understood, if not forgiven, it's just... It takes skill to sell something that is, like, explaining it. I explain it with words. It doesn't sound like a powerful moment. But on screen, in that moment, it was vital. Like, it is the stuff of life. It's a thing that I will remember in Sentai for a long time. (laughs) It's gonna be one of those really big moments. Like, the end of Bokenger... Where, you know, they're like, no, humans are precious. The fact that we can grow and change and adventure is, like, the greatest treasure of all. Or it's gonna be up there with just Balance sitting on the ground staring up at Naga inside his own mind. Honestly, frankly, like... Naga and Balance got a lot of them moments. Remember when they died together? Yeah. Lord, <laughs> like like I've said, that, that dude only wanted to write Naga and Balance and Stinger and Champ. Those were the only things he put real effort into in that show. But boy, what effort. <sighs> like, again, those are those are moments that like are lodged in me. Like, I cannot dislodge basically any of the drama in Hibitsky Metal or or the end of Q-Ranger. Like, I feel bad. Like, we just had Lupot. Lupot's only got one moment that shines like that for me. And it's not even a Kimura Junko moment. It is, yeah. of course, a Keiichiro just, I can only chase one thing. I know it's not ideal, but it's what I've got. Like, Oh. It's just, there are, there are these moments that kind of encapsulate what Sentai is, and this is gonna be one of them. 
this is gonna be one of those things that people show when they're like, no, this isn't just, you know, Power this Rangers, goofy... Ha-ha. Yeah, it isn't just this goofy fighting rubber monster suits show. I mean, There's... it's also that, but... It's also that, but, you know, there is actual stuff going on here. Just these beautiful little morality plays. It's It's so good. And it was really nice having after that this really light moment at the end of you know nada coming in kind of looking scary because he's in the guy's org armor and then haha he uses the sword as a back scratcher and he starts like messing with toa for you know punching him so hard and just this this moment that kind of welcomes nada as one of the family because now they know that this back and forth is over. They know who they know it's Nada and that they can trust him and that now he is he is one of them. Ko has said he is a Ryu soldier and now he's a Ryu soldier. That's the rules. Honestly, like there's that, but there's also just that shot where Nada is just in the armor except for the helmet. He's just slumped against the wall and he's got this little smile on his face. Like you knew everything was going to be all right for him in that moment. Yeah, I think, honestly, my favorite shot is, like, the very end of the scene before the last scene, where, you know, Nada's on his back and the armor is, like, off of him, and he kind of, like, reaches over to, like, pat his heart in this kind of solidarity with Ko. And... He realizes he still has the Ryu soul for Geysorg in his hand. Because you don't see it, but you see he's he does it, and then he opens his eyes and his hand tightens. And he looks confused for, like, two frames before we cut away. And it's just this really cute foreshadowing of... The fact that he's gonna get to keep the armor and kind of do use it to be who he wants to be now. Man, it's good. <laughs> like, I know we've just kind of said variations on, hey, episode 32 of your soldier. Friggin' rules. God, it's so um, good. Yeah, it, it friggin' rules, though. <laughs> it's just, he's... Um, He's made this transition from, I don't know, something kind of akin to Abare Killer, but less deeply frustrating for the rest of my life, to, because God, I hate Abare Killer. I really do. I really, just really do. But he's made the transition from that to sort of geki violet where he wants to be this thing he wants he wants to do it for all the right reasons but he just can't reconcile doing it the way he's supposed to with doing it the way he wants to uh geki violet is kind of fascinating uh because you know everyone is very kung fu based but he's a boxer Huh. Okay. The, the, in in Geki Ranger, the entire conceit is they're all based around 
Chinese martial arts. That's what everything is based around. But Geki Violet is a boxer. His transformation device is a boxing bell. Huh. Um, That's kind of amazing, actually. I like and that. And his, his whole introduction story arc is how, you know, he kind of got driven out of the Kung Fu school for not doing it right. And kind of well, wanting to go about it in his own way. To the point where he kind of made himself a werewolf for a little bit. Well, okay then. Um, Because, you know, everyone's got an animal style and his is wolf. And, you know, you've got got all the masters who are animal people. And he kind of accidentally makes himself into one for a little bit. Um, But not, again, not the way he's supposed to, so it's kind of messed up. And as the story progresses, you kind of find out why he was so desperate to get better so quickly, and doing it the traditional way wasn't fast enough, um, because he was, it, you know, everyone's in teams of three, and part of his team of three was Rio, and then Rio went off to be evil, and he was, he had to cope with that. And the other part of their team was the lady who, like, runs the the company that they operate this out of. Uh, And I really wish they had kind of explored her coping with that more, because they don't... um, They they don't address it, but it's present. Geki Ranger's really fascinating, and y'all should watch it. It's It's a really good show. Um... I know there is some stuff that is not, a. Uh, some people not super into, but I'm very fond of Geki Ranger. Uh, you know, it's worse that happens. Give it another shot, don't care for it. Meh. Yeah, and I mean, you can see why it took me so long to take Javert seriously. That'd be fun. I just mostly like know that uh, it's got the sickest robot designs. Yeah, uh, Geki Toja is great. But, uh, I guess for me, it's just, I, I mostly just came at it feeling very bad for Conalo, because, like, our, our boy Nada got the, got, like, the common Rider Mage introduction. Like, this one actually feels much more baked into the structure of Ryu Soldier. Conalo is kind of like the common Rider Beast, where he's there and he's important, and look, I'm down with him, I'm okay with him, I don't hate him, but he's just, like, he's kind of just dropped in. And I feel bad for him like that, because he deserves better than that, but... I do feel uh, bad for him. He he just, he doesn't have the, uh, the baked-in feel that... Yeah, though I don't think Conalo would just be better off as the leader of his own show. No. No, not even a little. <laughs> Where you could just build a whole, uh, thing around Beast. Yes. But, uh, yeah, so, I guess that's most of our our big thoughts, other than, like, episode 33. Is that a new upgrade for Ko? Or does Nada get a redeemed Geysorg armor? I'm so excited to find out. Yeah, I know, we are looking at some pretty sick business upcoming. Yep. Uh... So I guess we'll uh, we'll let y'all know what we think when it happens. Uh, do you have any last-minute thoughts, Sono? 
Uh, no, just, man, it is amazing to have been consistently hyped for 33 episodes. Right? It's been a minute. Uh, so for Laser Knees and the rest of the Toll Network, I'm Aleph. And I'm Sona. And don't put on the evil armor. Just don't do it. Yeah, it's a really bad idea. <laughs>